Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, myself, Brandon, joined as always by Dan and Nick. Uh, gentlemen, this is part two of the Chelsea Youth Academy series that we're doing, a uh, double feature, maybe, uh, you could call it, with uh, at Chelsea Youth. So, Phil, you are back. Thank you, sir, for, for hanging out, because we're going to be going through the U23s who play in the PL2 um, division, league, whatever you want to call it. So, Anyways, thank you for joining us again. Um, if you missed part one, part one was all about the U18s, okay? They are currently first of the South Division, have a really good chance to win that. Uh, we put some predictions down on that, got some who's the best uh, in the squad, who's having a breakout season, just a lot of stuff. So go, go back and listen to that or do it afterwards, but just make sure to go. Anyways, Dan, tee us up for this one. We've got, like I said, U23s, PL2, the expert at Chelsea Youth with us. What do we have in store? Well, as it stands right now, the current table, Derby County on top, 26 points, followed by Leicester in second place on 25. Chelsea in third, but it is a tight, tight table. Chelsea third, 24 points, just ahead of Arsenal in fourth. Clearly the romance has been rekindled here in Premier League 2, if not in the actual Premier League, they are also on 24 points and uh, is merely a goal difference situation for us. Uh, Brighton, 
fifth place, 19 points. Tottenham, sixth place, 17 points. Liverpool, also at 17 points in seventh place, but behind on goal difference. Everton on eighth with 16 points. Blackburn Rovers, ninth place, 14 points. Manchester City, 10th with 12 points. Wolverhampton, 11th with 11 points. And Southampton, 12 with 10 points. Tight table, Brandon. Tight, tight table. All right, Phil. Initial reactions. Walk us through the table, kind of where we're at. It looks like we're in third, but we have two games in hand to make up, which obviously all we need are three points out of six to go to the top of the table. Uh, Chelsea's form three draws and two wins in their last five with Spurs upcoming next. How's it going? It's going very well. Uh, I don't think anyone would have expected them to be unbeaten in the league at this point in the season. They, and especially given that some of the matches they were losing in stoppage time, but they've positioned themselves really, really well so far. It's a very tight title race, as you've just alluded to. They'll go back to the top if they win at Tottenham tomorrow night as we record this. Uh, right now, I think this could go anyway. But given that Chelsea no longer have any other commitments because they're out of the UEFA Youth League and they're out of the EFL Trophy... They can pour all of their resources and all of their efforts into winning the PL2. So I think they've got a good chance. That That is a good clarification. Uh, this is the table as of the 4th of January. So uh, probably by the time this you know, has been released, as Phil alluded to, there, there will be some other results that have happened. Chelsea would have won multiple times after this and are clearly number one on the table as it stands. Fingers crossed. Um all right, Nick, over to you. Let's go ahead and continue down the, the the team side of the U23s in the PL2 division. So obviously, you know, the the top is is tight. I mean, we talked about um, the struggles um, that, that Chelsea have seen um, from from loans thus far and, and things like that. How how do you think um, that this team, you know, you kind of mentioned that they're kind of overperforming expectations, maybe due to not being in other competitions. But um, how do you feel like this team has kind of um, leveled up this season? And, and are there any kind of standout performances that, that you would like to mention? Yeah, it's it's been really, really surprising because you lose a certain amount of experience every year at this level. They'll go off mm-hmm. and they'll leave the club or they'll graduate to the first team or more, more often than not, they go out on loan. So from the last season, the most appearances, you've you've lost Juan Castillo, jo- Joseph Colley, Deshaun Rodin, Conor Gallagher, Richard Nati, Josh Grant, Marto Taylor-Crossdale. You've lost half a team. So you've got to bring through guys from who graduated the under-18 ranks or who haven't played as much regular football at this level and then on top of that you have some of the experienced guys like Tino Andrian and Tarek Awakwe and Billy Gilmore they've not been available for different chunks of the season so a lot of players have had to learn on the fly players have played multiple positions and I think it's a testament to the coaching and the adaptability of the players as much as anything else that they've managed to put themselves in with a real chance of winning this thing it's probably an interesting point talk us to the coaching staff for this group um andy myers is the head coach he was um promoted from the under 18s in the summer when joe edwards joined the first team ranks he's assisted by john harley the former academy graduate left back who was coaching at the younger age levels and they've been joined by eric ramsey who's a uefa pro qualified coach who joined from shrewsbury back in september uh, good old Strawberry Town, my man, Eden Zard. <laughs> uh, so kind of on that topic, though, maybe just in terms of promotion, you know, we, we know the challenges that 
are live for maybe someone going from the U18s to the U23 level as a player, what's the challenge for a managerial appointment going from the U18s to the U23s? Where, where are their maybe typical potholes and where has Myers maybe really succeeded this season with this side? I think the biggest thing is knowing your player availability. Well, if you're managing the under-18s, you know that your fixtures are almost always going to be on a Saturday morning, once a week, and you've got a fairly big group of players available to you. You can call on some of the older players to come down or some of the younger players to come up. But where it changes when you get to PL2 level is you might have players who are away with the first team or who are out on loan called at a moment's notice or have dropped down to play in a youth cup match, for example. The fixtures, they can move from a Friday to a Monday at short notice. You don't necessarily know when your next match is for sure until days before the game sometimes. So you really have to act on the fly sometimes. If a player is called out of your training session to join the first team at the last minute, you might have to make a late change to your team. Yeah, we just we just say we just saw with Tarek Lamptey. I mean, he was literally on break and they pulled yeah, him exactly. in. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, you know, it's it's not up to you. It's it's up to, you know, what the first team needs, obviously, and, and kind of vice versa. You even said that with the 18s, some of those guys will move up to the 23s and things like that. So it's very fluid at this. So I'm assuming that having the squad of players is so, so important um, because, like you said, sometimes that there's not injury changes, but just team requirement changes that force your hand in that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So you end up having a core of maybe half a dozen players who you know you can build around who are going to be there for most of the season. They're not quite at the level where they're going to be pushing on like Terry Lamptey's done or they're not going to be going out on loan. So you can build around them, but they've had to be really flexible with plugging in players across the team. They've played a 4-2-3-1 rather than the 3-4-3 the under-18s have played. They've played a, a shape that suits the players available to them. They've shifted it around a little bit on occasion, but for the most part, it's been that 4-2-3-1 plugging in the likes of Henry Lawrence in particular, into four or five positions, sometimes in the same match. Is it something where we've typically seen the U18s and, and some of the other sides replicate the formation across all age levels to try to build kind of a, a standard template? Or is this maybe one of the, you know, is this divergence between the formations between the U23s, PL2, and then U18s is maybe happening for one of the first times? Or is it something that, you know, typically they would be the same formation throughout. A lot of clubs like to do that. It's, it's an idyllic, perfect world scenario. But mm -hmm. I, I tend to find it doesn't work in practice because if you're trying to force a formation on a group of players who don't fit it, then you're hamstringing yourself. There's Primarily everyone is in this for development. But if you're not being used in the correct manner, then your development's going to suffer for that. So I think it's always needing to be formations to fit the players rather than players to fit the formation, especially in academy level where your your means of going out to overhaul a squad are limited by comparison to senior level. So Chelsea, uh, plus at Chelsea, you have such a transient first team manager situation. That's exactly what I was about to think. If you're, if you're pinning your hopes on <laughs> trying to replicate what's going on up there, you're going to be changing just as frequently as they are. So the academy have their own prescribed... Um, program of development last year edwards's group played a 352 because they had strength in central midfield they had two center for three center forwards at the time and they've not stuck with that this season because the group is different 
I think just one more look at the table before we move on to some of the, the performances here, Phil. Uh, are there any things that, you know, outside of Chelsea that stand out to you? Uh, obviously, Darby and, and Leicester are just slightly ahead, uh, but with uh, two more matches played, uh, Everton down in eighth after kind of topping the, the division last year. Uh, is there anything that, that you're looking at um, specifically there? It's been interesting to see Everton because, like Chelsea, they've lost half a dozen key players from the team that won the title for them last season and they haven't adapted as well despite still being more experienced than Chelsea Uh, Manchester City have struggled considerably this is a league that actually has relegation so these 12 teams are division one of the PL2 there are 12 other teams who are in division two two up two down every season so Wolves and Southampton who came up last season uh, in the bottom two Manchester City have have been in that for a lot of this season if you talk to some people who watch their team frequently they say it's a primarily a coaching issue the the their manager hasn't gotten the best out of undeniably good talent but it, it just goes to show that reputations are literally just that you have to go out there and perform and people will have looked at Chelsea squad going into the season and thought maybe that doesn't really have enough depth in it to challenge for the title cities might excuse me cities might do but that's not how it's played out so far. So the my last question with this is the the PL2 setup is still recently new. How how have you perceived it as a success in helping these players transition from academy to first team football? It doesn't do a particularly good job of it. It's a means to an end because when you leave youth team football at the age of 18, you have to go somewhere and Ideally, I don't think anyone would spend more than two seasons at the most at this level. It's something Chelsea have done really well, that they've moved players on, especially with the the lone army, getting them out at the age of 19 and not spending too long playing at this level. You look around this league and you'll have players in there who've been uh, playing for three, four, five years. It's not at this level. Newcastle have got a defender who made his debut in the equivalent of this level in 2012. So I I don't, some clubs don't seem to to understand that. Sometimes you do need a bit more of a a longer curve and maybe stay there until you're 20. But I think it's an under 23 league by age. A lot of teams play younger than, I think you get away with making an under 20 league with a harder age rule on overages and you'd benefit from it. Well, we can make sure that that gets passed along to the FA. And uh, I imagine, just like VAR, they'll take it under advisement and decide against <laughs> it completely um, until the decision gets overruled. Uh, anyway, though, let's talk about some of the results because, again, we talked about this team that is really overperforming or maybe it's just a shock performance in terms of the results that we've seen. Are there a couple of matches that you would highlight as just really top-tier results for this team, statement either wins or draws that have occurred because we can't talk about losses in the league. So, that, I mean, we just you know, have to talk about draws and wins. Yeah, it's a hard life, but let's uh, let's push on. <laughs> um, the, the back-to-back 2-2 draws in August against uh, Man City and Tottenham were the, the first signs that this team had something about them. They were losing deep into stoppage time in both games. They'd been 2-0 down in both games. And came back at City, it was Billy Gilmore and Mark Gurhey with the goals against Tottenham. It was Clinton Moller and then Tarek Lamptey. And it was at that point you thought, okay, maybe they've they, they, they've really got something going here. They did similar at Leicester um, at the end of September, which was a good comeback because they lost at Bristol Rovers. That was the first defeat of the season in their previous match um, in the EFL Trophy. So... 
they had the resolve to go and do that. And it's it's been that sort of story all season. They finished the year with a draw at Liverpool having come from behind and a draw at home to Derby having been 3-1 down there. So they're finding a way to, to stay in it and to keep the points ticking over, even if the performances have sometimes been a little bit sketchy. The best performance, they beat Arsenal 3-1 in October. That was as good as it's got for them. That's a good Arsenal team that will be title challengers and they play them off the park. What do you attribute to maybe some of the team's struggles early in matches and then, and then you know, consequentially how they fit, seem to finish so strong? Uh, there's, it's an intensity thing for, for the most part. Um, sometimes it's a case of not taking your chances when they come, but they take a little bit of time to warm up and to find what's working for them on that day. And I think it might go back to the fact that some of these players are having to be plugged into different positions from game to game. You might have Henry Lawrence start right back one match, left back the next, and he's up on the wing. And that takes a little bit of time to figure out what you need to do for that particular 90 minutes. And it comes to coaching as well. If something's not working, you need to move players around. It's been a theme that Myers has done this year. He's moved Clinton Moller out of defence and into midfield later into games to add a bit of drive and physicality into a group that sometimes lacks it. So the matches are 90 minutes for a reason. Obviously, you'd love to be comfortably winning 3-4-5-0 every match. But when the questions are being asked of you in the final half an hour, the players and the coaches are finding solutions. You got to love tactical flexibility and just being able to change it up and throw something different in there. Um, you know, like I said, as we as we browse results, it, it's I always go to Arsenal. And again, you know, we just dropped the Mason Mount DNA series interview. Those are the those are the matches he said playing in the youth teams that he always got up for just more than most. And he's like, I don't know if it's because we're rivals, but I think a lot of it comes down to the rivalry when they go go to England. It seems like some of the best youth players are coming from Chelsea and Arsenal's academy, so now they're competing for spots at the England team. But seeing Chelsea and Arsenal at the U18 level competing head-to-head and now at the U23 level head-to-head and seeing these players on both clubs right, making appearances in the first team, Arsenal have some pretty young players in there. This Arsenal-Chelsea rivalry is probably about to explode and really get back to like the early 2000s, again, the mid-2000s of the first decade. Um, Just something that I'm starting to like put the pieces together. Do you think that that's something that's definitely going to happen, Phil, as more Arsenal Academy graduates potentially get into the first team over there? It certainly could do it, at least between Chelsea and Arsenal themselves. Whether it's for the very top honours or not relies on a lot of development, but they're moving in the same direction. They both have a former midfielder still fairly young moving to the club in an identity-based direction. They're both giving a lot of opportunities to youngsters who've earned that opportunity. They played in the Youth Cup final um, less than two years ago now. A lot of those players have already graduated and moved on to play first-team football there and back at Chelsea. It's it's really interesting because Arsenal have a lot of good young players and... If if they can hit with the same sort of success rate that Chelsea look like uh, they're on the way to, then it's it's going to be a very interesting decade ahead. So I, I think looking at the league and and feeling pretty confident about league position and and how the team has has done so far, I think we do have to unfortunately talk about uh, the UEFA Youth League. Uh, you know, a competition that Chelsea had reached the final in each of the pro- four previous editions that they'd entered. Uh, this this didn't go as well, Phil. Uh, one win from six. What do you think 
uh, were the kind of primary factors there and, and what might have went a little bit wrong? Yeah, it's, it's it was really disappointing. And it's one of the hardest things to sort of reconcile that despite having a lot of decent players returning to the group, they had Lamptey available, Billy Gilmore available, Tino Andrew and Ian Martson, players who graduate and Mark Gerhi, they've all played for the first team this season, but they weren't able to get it done in Europe. And it started with the first two matches. They should have beaten Valencia on match day one. Uh, drew 3-3 at home and then they went to Lille and they lost 2-0 there despite dominating the match they conceded a goal at the end of each half and then that left them struggling um, they just they never found their best form they didn't manage to get all of those players on the pitch at the same time at any point Martson was away at the under-17 World Cup Andrews had a few knocks Gilmore and Gerhi went up with the first team for a couple of games just as part of the squad and I don't think that's necessarily an excuse because they played Ajax home and away in the middle of that. And Ajax had 10 players at the under-17 World Cup, their entire first team. So Jeez. Chelsea managed to win in Amsterdam and they drew at home. But you'd think if Ajax had their full complement of players available, it might not have been quite as easy for Chelsea to take four points off them. It, they they just they lacked a fluidity. They lacked a few moments of luck, and they made too many mistakes. The game in Valencia um, that saw them eliminated. Carlos Ziga uh, made a mistake for the first goal. It happens, but if you're a goalkeeper, it's usually more consequential. The second goal was a couple of unlucky deflections that led to their striker going through on goal, and those are the fine margins if you're not really on your game. Yeah, it's. Uh... You know, it's good for them to get some experience in European competition, obviously. I think that that helps. Just a big surprise that one win out of six in that group. Um, but now they can just focus on the domestic side of it, I suppose. So, uh, Dan, throw us over into the player side of it as we kind of run through the roster here and some individuals. Uh, I think we, you know, you, met, you touched on it just a moment ago, Phil, but we've actually seen some of these players in the PL2, U23 side, actually get an opportunity to, you know, unfurl their sails, so to speak, for the first team in a couple of the competitions this season. We've seen Gurhi, we've seen Lamptey, we've seen Matson, we've seen Andorin, you know, uh, Gilmore. You know, with all of these individuals getting a chance to make it to the first team, I, I guess first for someone who's followed that these players and the academy for such a long time, how how excited or how happy does that make you? And in second, maybe who do you think out of that group has taken the most advantage of that opportunity when it was presented? I mean, obviously it's going to make me very happy, but the more important thing is that it gives hope and reason to believe for everybody else who's following them if they see that the door is open and they see that good performances are being rewarded they know that they can be next in line these are the 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 guys who've made their, their debuts this season have been the most deserving for their body of work over the last two three years and so if you're somebody coming up behind them who've had similar levels of success similar levels of high performance you know that you give it another three months you might get a, a go at the end of the season or you might get to go with the first team next summer in pre-season the door is open and it, it genuinely gives um it, everyone goes into work with a little bit more optimism about things whereas i can tell you that when the door was shut under previous managers there were 
people who were sort of phoning it in thinking, well, what's the point? Why am I here looking for a way out, looking for a reason not to believe? Well, we saw that. I mean, Solanke left. Um, oh, who went to Monaco? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've seen it, right? And it's understandable. You can't blame the players for wanting to play first team football. You yeah, know, exactly. The dream is to play for Chelsea, but the other dream is to be a professional as well. So, you know, it, to each their own. But like you said, it's so great to see that that door is open. I'm, I'm impressed that three defenders have debuted with Matson, Lamptey, and Gurhi. You've got two midfielders as well, but from a defensive standpoint, usually it's a lot harder to break in as a defender because margins are so fine. You switch off for a second, someone runs in behind, you're toast. Um, but Lampard is given, you know, by necessity and also by merit, like you said, just uh, a lot of a lot of time for these guys to to you know cut their teeth in the first in the in the first team, which is has been great. Um, is there any? I guess. Is there someone else that is right on the cusp that we might see the rest of the season that we haven't yet? In terms of being on the cusp, I'm not too sure. George McEachran would probably be the most deserving of the players who haven't yet debuted. I'm not including Jamie coming in that. Goalkeepers are a little bit of a different animal. I think Jamie would warrant an opportunity if the fourth round draw in the FA Cup is favourable, for example. Um, but out of the outfield players, George has been around. He's had enough development squad games now. He may go on loan later this month. Um, he may be on loan by the time this is out. Who knows? Um, but he trained with the, the squad ahead of the Nottingham Forest game. I think in the right circumstances, you could give him a debut. He was with the first team squad last year. He was on the bench under Sari away at, um, at Vidi and didn't get on. So maybe him. But they're, they're, they're players pushing hard behind him. The Probably the player of the season so far has been Clinton Moller. And if he carries on in the same vein, then he'll be putting himself in with a shout. I mean, Clinton was a guy that we that you referenced uh, specifically in our in our kind of season preview. Can you talk a little bit more about his development this year and, and kind of what's made him stand out? Um, he's had a change of position for the most part. He's played at centre-back rather than his more familiar central midfield role. As I said earlier, later in some games, they've moved him further forward so he can influence mm. the game elsewhere. But he looks so composed wherever he is. And he's he's emerged as a real leader as well. He was He's always been that sort of player, but he's taken that responsibility in a young team this year and said, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to make myself counted. He... He's been alongside Mark Gurhey in the centre of defence for most of the season and has played to pretty much the same standard, which is fairly high praise because Mark's as reliable and as composed as they come for an under-23 defender. Um, but Clinton having the ability to play in midfield, um, he's also left-footed, just gives you a little bit more of an X-factor, a bit more dynamism, and you can move him around and help the team by doing so. A quick follow would be to talk about uh, Tarek Lamptey, who um, has recently come on and, and been featured in the first team uh, against Forrest and then more importantly against uh, Arsenal, having played uh, some really important minutes. Can you talk about his development? I mean, kind of coming, you know, for most fans out of nowhere uh, to, to be featured in the first team is, is pretty special. Yeah, most fans might not have heard of him, but anyone who's followed the youth teams for the last three or four years will know all about him because I said it, I think, on Twitter that you can't have more fun than watch him play when he's at his best. He is <laughs> unbelievably gifted. Um, he's the fastest player I've ever seen. 
in terms of short area quickness, the fact that opponents think that they can get to the ball before him and they'll foul him numerous times per match. He'll embarrass you on the wing. He's more in the last year or two, he will drive inside from right back and hurt you straight through the centre of the pitch. Um, where his future lies at the top level is sort of dependent on what you want to do with him and what level he's playing at. But he's he's got such so, such an ability to change a match that he's going to be a real weapon for somebody. There's it, Adama Traore has taken a longer route to get to where he is now, but he's a similar sort of player. Minus 75 pounds of muscle. Exactly. That's, that's the big difference between the two of them. But Adama wasn't always that big. He's just clearly lived in the gym for five years. Uh, he, sa- he said that he has, doesn't lift weights. So Michael Essien said that once as well. I'm calling bull on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but then I'm looking at you and yeah. calling mm. bullshit. So – one player that you know I think is excited, ex- really excited during preseason with the opportunities he got with the first team was Billy Gilmore, and we, we haven't touched on him too much. How do you think his season's gone so far? And you know he seemed obviously likely to get an opportunity to play in the FA Cup, but maybe out due to injury illness. You know, how would you grade how he's performed this season for the U23s PL2? I think he's been fine. I think. For for someone of his caliber and experience, you might have wanted a little bit more, but that's just because you, you want to hold them to high standards. He's not had the easiest of years because when you're that player who's the 19th or 20th player in the senior squad, you're shuttling back and forth between the teams. You're traveling with the first team and not necessarily playing. You might not train with the development squad quite so frequently. And that's not easy to do because you're, you're sometimes dropping in to play a game at a weekend, having only had one session with the group for that week. And you've got a baseline of talent that's going to get you so far, but to really effectively influence matches on a regular basis, you need to be with them all the time. It's it's just part of the challenge for him. And the same with Gurhi and everyone else who's sort of in that position right now. Do you think that a guy, you know, having, we, we were lucky enough to uh, to be, uh, present for the for the Grimsby Town match uh, back in September and got to see uh, a little bit of Tino Andrin as well and kind of what a what a unit he is. Um, do you think that you know he will kind of be able to see more of those opportunities to kind of make it up um, into that nineteenth or twentieth player uh, in this team in, oh, the, in the first team? You hope so. It's, it's all sort of predicated on whether you can shake off the odd injury niggle and string mm-hmm. a, a series of matches together. Because when he's on his game, he's he's unstoppable. There's there are there's not many players who have his mix of size, technical ability, game intelligence, uh, production, goals, assists. He's he's far too good to play at that level, but he hasn't played enough minutes overall in throughout the calendar year of 2019 to really make that next step. If he, if he can put two months of football together, he'll be with the first team squad on a regular basis. We'd like to hear that, especially if someone can get uh, healthy and put themselves in the position to just get that run of form, get those games that they're looking for. Uh, I know we talked about Zyger a little bit. There's also Nicholas Ty, who are our two goalkeepers there. Is there anything maybe from a standout or kind of evaluation standpoint there that you've seen this season with uh, Brandon Busby's favorite position. Hmm. Uh, Jamie Cummins played the most games because they've come at a time where he's not with the first team squad or he'll go with them for a few days later. So they've rotated it around. Carlos had more opportunities than Nico because Nico's been on international duty a little bit as well. Um, they're both still a little bit error prone, but they have the ability to 
to really push on. I think they could do with senior loans, both of mm. them. But you need to find the right time to do that. You don't want to... Like Carlo had one game on loan last year. He went to Sutton United as an emergency for an FA Cup tie. He was thrown in at the deep end. Sutton had no goalkeepers available. They've got a relationship with Chelsea. Carlo went and played in a, a match up at the other end of the country, 300 miles away, and was man of the match despite a 3-0 defeat. So <laughs> he, he's... He he went in the deep end, but showed that he's he's got the mentality to succeed if he goes out again. But as I said earlier, there's only so much you can really learn uh, under 23 level as a goalkeeper. You've got the fundamentals down. You've got playing time behind you, and the next step is to go out and really test yourself in in the professional or the adult game, not necessarily the professional game. Right, and I mean, obviously, you know, a small echo of what I said. The U18s is is game mat like game time is is unbelievably critical for a goalkeeper it just breeds confidence um it it really just rounds you out i mean we just even seen burnt leno just misjudge across completely for Jorginho's tap in um and it's that stuff can still happen but to polish it up it's these in-game reps and like you said because you know, while you try to train like a game, it's it's so different as a goalkeeper. And um, part of it is just staying engaged and reading the play and, un, you know, being able to adapt to every game because every game is so different for a goalkeeper depending on who you play and also how the players in front of you are playing. If your left back is having a shocker, you have to completely change how you communicate with your center backs and some different things like that. So um, it is so important because a bad loan like can crush you as a goalkeeper too <laughs> yeah, you know it definitely can. thank god nico got man of the match so he got some credit for that three nothing dumping otherwise he might have came home with his head down a little bit yeah and it's 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 always important to find a good loan for every player but like you say for a goalkeeper you have to get it right a, a quick follow on this uh phil would be you know if you, you're, you're looking at this squad and you know that there's going to be kind of some ins and outs based on, on what Frank wants to do and and all sorts of other competitions. But is there a player or two that you would look at that needs to have a stronger uh, end of the season than they have a, a start uh, to kind of uh, give themselves the best opportunity to make it? Some of the guys like Ian Martin, um probably need to push on in the second half of the season. I don't think Martin's played anywhere near as well as he can. And uh, I know a lot of people were excited at the potential of him playing against Forrest and he wasn't involved at all. And that's possibly because he hasn't hit the standards that everyone knows that he's capable of reaching. He's had a hard, uh, an interrupted season by going all the way to Brazil for the World Cup in the middle of it. So if he can settle back down and get himself going again and remind everybody what a talent he is, then it won't take long before he's in a position to push on. But I don't think anyone's had a really bad season. They've It's a small group. They've all contributed really well. And they've got another 10 games or so to to come together and make a real fist of this title challenge. Um, so I have, a, I have an American kind of analogy question as well. So as we kind of tie all this up. So in America, like we have these developmental leagues, you know, in, in the NBA, you've got the D League and baseball, you've got single A, double A, triple A, all these different kind of feeder leagues. But there's always a kind of thing that, you know, I know your point was if you spend more than two years at this level, that's not a good sign. And it's kind of the same thing with some of our other developmental leagues. Um, like, are some of these guys maybe nervous at the U23s and not maybe 
in a more of a like a professional team and atmosphere like that? Uh, it always takes a little bit of a time to adapt to every level that you step up to. So I wouldn't say anyone's ill prepared for the level they're playing at or necessarily ill prepared for the level they're aspiring to. You just have to to get reps as much as anything else. You, it's it's rare for somebody to go out on loan before having a season under their belt uh, under 23 level if you do it's either an exceptional talent or an exceptional circumstance like looking Mason. at the, the squad list a little bit like that but at the flip side of it Jack Wakeley who's um, started some games at centre back for the development squad this year he finished last season playing for Basingstoke Town which are in the English sixth tier because they wanted to prepare him a little bit for the step up between under 18 and under 23 football if you're a Chelsea under-18 defender, you're not going to be challenged very often defensively at all. This is a powerhouse team that's won everything that's been going for the last three years. So he went out on loan to to do some defending, to win headers, to to outmuscle opponents, to do to learn some of the subtler dark arts, as Eddie Newton always likes to call it, <laughs> uh, playing the pro game. Um, everyone has their own individual action plan. Some players will be ready to move on before the others, but. You only really find out when you actually get out there and, and do it and see what you're made of. Well, I think that brings us to prediction time. Yeah. Brandon likes to get everyone on the record so he can make us relive our horrible picks at the end of it all. But where do you think, based upon what we've seen so far and the results is how they've landed and the fact that we really don't have other competitions to focus on maybe at the moment – where where will Chelsea finish this season? Where will the we finish in the PL2 process? I think they will compete right until the end, but possibly fall just short of winning the title. It's it's there's going to be a couple of big matches. They've got to play away to Arsenal, and they've got Leicester at home of the title contenders. They played Derby home and away already, and they were unbeaten in those fixtures. Um. Anyone can push on. The Brighton or Tottenham can come up from those low ranks. So it'll be really interesting to see how they get on against Tottenham shortly after this. Uh, we've had this conversation. Just looking at the trend of their fixtures, they've managed to hold on to that unbeaten record through sheer will at times. That's not going to get them over the line. It's 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 a really really good starting point. I think they just need to find another five or ten percent if they really want to win this league title. I'd, I'd love them to, and I think they've got every chance. I just think when all is said and done, they might fall just short. All right. And player of the season for the squad? Uh, it should be Clinton Mola, the way he's been playing and the importance to the team. Um, I, I, I want to put in a special word for Henry Lawrence and Charlie Brown as well, because Henry's that player that I've been talking about who's been playing all over the pitch. And he's he's still technically a second year at academy level, under 18 team. So he's been playing there a bit. He's been stepping up into the 23s and he's been so reliable. He's He never has a bad performance. He's been contributing with goals and assists now as well. And he was last year's scholar of the year so he's succeeding on and off the pitch he's a really really good player um charlie brown because he's been the lone striker and has run so hard and put in so much effort that people haven't seen necessarily they look at the goals return and think all right he's down on previous years but he's all-round game has come along he's playing so unselfishly and hasn't got the goals he's deserved um, if he gets the goals he deserves in the second half of the season then they could um they could run the table so I know I teased at the end of last episode of a of a league sweep at all levels. And I'd like to include the women in that too, especially with some of the signings they've made. 
um, as they head in the season. It, it, I'm assuming the first team is probably the hardest, but do you think the way Chelsea as a club are set up, is it it's probable or likely that we can sweep the league title at these three divisions in the near-ish future? I'd hope so. Because the the talent that's coming through in the years to come, so the current under sixteens, under fifteens, under fourteens, they're good enough to to keep up this, to take the baton and to keep winning under eighteen league titles, to win FA Youth Cups, to keep the standard high. And we know the level of talent that's in the academy right now. So these under eighteens who are looking very very good this season, they'll be under twenty threes in a year or two. And these under twenty threes will be complementing the guys who've graduated to the first team this year. This is in an ideal world. You'd love to see it. I I think there's a chance, um, but it is always going to be about the first team because <laughs> they're like you're not competing with a Manchester City um, with limitless funds and world class talent in every position uh, under 23 level. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess yeah. That Dan. Any any other follow ups on the U23 side or anything else? Well, I first I want to thank Phil for all the time per usual because yeah. that is the thing to do. Um, my question was going to be is just with the fact that we, we talked about him in the U18 episode, but with Broja coming in, could that be that extra 5-10%, especially as Charlie Brown is getting a little bit of an extra accommodation from you for improving his overall game? Would that maybe give us the the extra five to ten percent difference that we're looking for? Uh, you'd hope so. He's not actually started a match at this level. He's been used as a bit of an impact sub to start bridging the gap because he's a classic tweener right now. He's maybe too good for one level, but not quite ready to step up full time at the other. But it's been encouraging through December. They used him as an impact sub, sort of on the right wing but not as a winger, as a, a wide target man, as it were, because you can then draw attention over to him and bring other players into play from him. And it worked really well. He's looking more and more at home at that level. So if you give him an increased workload between now and April, you might you might just reap the rewards from doing that. I think I think we should. We should continue to reap, continue <laughs> to gain the rewards. Phil, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm glad we got to talk to you uh, preseason. This has been perfect mid-season update it sounds like by all definitions that the academy is on track doing well it's even crazier is that you look through these two rosters and see so many of these players relatively speaking have made first team proper debuts even if it was you know in the cup competition against Grimsby or uh, getting more minutes uh, you know today against Nottingham Forest just love getting your perspective in the in-depth breakdown so again all of our listeners if you're not following at chelsea youth what are you doing with yourself follow the academy uh let tweet it phil let them know how much you enjoyed the episode but thank you so much again and maybe we can do an end of season recap what do you think i absolutely love to anytime you guys want <laughs> all right well anyways chelsea fans again in case you missed it we covered the u18s in a previous episode go back Listen to that. Get your full Academy wrap-up. But that's going to do it for this one. So again, thank you to Phil at Chelsea Youth on Twitter. Uh, But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.